you'd like to open up your Bibles to John 1, 10 through 13 is what we're going to be preaching, what I'm going to be preaching on. Um, but it's been a while since uh, we've read the first few opening verses of John, so I'm going to start in John verse 1 and read to 13, but we're going to be focusing on 10 through 13, just to remind us of our context. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The One was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, not one thing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of humanity. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. A man came, sent from God, whose name was John. This one came for a witness, in order that he could testify about the light, so that all would believe through him. That one was not the light, but came in order that he might testify about the light. The true light, who gives light to every person, was coming into the world. And this is our text for this evening. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and the world did not recognize him. He came to his own things, and his own people did not receive him. But as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them to them the authority to become children of God, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Uh, as we've been studying the book of John, we've been studying the person of Christ, and by connection, the person of God. Because if you want to know God, you have to know Christ. And we have been learning who he is, that he is eternal, that he has life within himself, asay, he possesses aseity, um, that he is light, so he possesses all moral purity and excellence, and there is no darkness in him at all, and though the world be dark around us, he has not been overcome by it. In fact, he has overcome the darkness. There was a man who bore witness to that light. That was John the Baptist. He was a man just like you and I, and he performed many great wonders before the world to see so that he may have been confused with that eternal life, but he was not. He was a mere prophet. And his word to you all today was that Jesus Christ must increase and he must decrease. And as we move through the text we see that he was the true light, Jesus Christ. That there is uh, light and true light. And natural light is what we all experience in this world, but true light is spiritual light. So that the knowledge of God has moved outside of the boundaries of national Israel and has gone to the ends of the world. It has gone from Africa to Asia, to Russia, to Japan. It has traveled across the Pacific Ocean to America, and it began with 13 colonies, and here we are in Arizona today, and the true light shines here in Casa Grande. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And it gives light to every person. Every single one of you in this room is created in the image of God and therefore have the capacity of logic, rationality, morality, and you are a spiritual being. You are not made primarily of the components of your flesh, such as bones, muscles, sinews. Those things will die and waste away and corrupt in the ground. And Jesus Christ will still know you because you are a soul. And you do not perish when you die. To be absent from the body is to be present, from the, present with the Lord. And so we've been discussing this high-level spiritual nature of the kingdom of God. 
Because if the kingdom of God, at the head of the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ, and he is this person, this kingdom will be different. It will not be like any other kingdom that you will have ever known about, read in history, or will ever witness again, because it comes from God, is through God, and is according to his will. And today we're going to be discussing the nature of the entrance into the kingdom called the new birth. But before that, let's begin in verse 10. And I'll actually read my manuscript now. Um, It was as obvious as storm clouds bringing rain, the smell of delicious food on the street exclaiming the presence of a restaurant, or the uh, grown belly of a woman in late, late in pregnancy, Um, It was as conspicuous as an elephant in the room, a football player dancing at a ballet recital, or a concert with all of its sound amplification cranked past ten. In other words, there was no missing it. The coming of the Logos, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ was not a mystery. It wasn't hidden behind doors. It wasn't secret. It was Announced and proclaimed. Galatians 4.4 When the fullness of time came, God sent out his son born of a woman. There was a fullness of time, a culmination of seasons. The years had all run together in order to come to this one singular point in time and space where God would be born. The universe will never experience that again. It has come And it is gone. But it did not come without fanfare. When Christ came for those in that time, it was impossible to ignore something was happening. To the Jews or to the Gentiles. I would argue that it was impossible to ignore that something divine and supernatural was happening. And that it was all pointing to one specific end. Consider the events surrounding Jesus' birth. A star brighter than any other before, shone brilliantly above a tiny little town called Bethlehem. So bright, in fact, that we in this room have discussed this doctrine at length. Because it's in the scriptures, but also because of the effect that it had on the world. We discuss things like, did the star travel in the sky, leading the men to be to Jesus? Or was it a, a, a natural event that God used to design to bring people to Jesus? Regardless of whether or not you fall on either side of that, it was a bright star. It was hard to ignore. Uh, literal angels, literal angels, in all their splendor and radiance, descended to shepherds and proclaimed great news of great joy. I bet you those shepherds didn't keep that news to themselves. Uh, A savior was born. Uh, Wise men from the east, from afar, somehow discerned that they needed to follow this bright star and then discerned that Christ was of more value as a baby than obedience to the king in the land. That The knowledge of the Savior entered the world and it immediately began changing things. Um, And here's another sign of the times that Jesus was being born. Herod decided to start killing infants and toddlers because he wanted to kill Jesus Christ. Uh, It's almost like um, if we here in Casa Grande started hearing that the mayor put an edict out that all the babies two years and under decided to start, you know, needing to kill them, 
it would be hard for us to ignore. We'd know that something's happening, that a king's doing something for some reason, that we need to think about what's going on. And then the progressive years after that, Jesus moves off the scene, goes to Egypt. That in itself is a sign to fulfill prophecy because in Joel it says, out of Egypt I have called my son. So there's this combination of prophecy being fulfilled, proclamation of the Messiah coming so that everyone who was in the area at the time may know that something was happening. And then Not only that, Joseph, his own father, received a dream um, to flee to Egypt. That's what led them to Egypt. And whenever Jesus came close to a temple, there are men and women who are talking with him. When he's 12, he he leaves his parents in the middle of a feast, and he ends up speaking with the, the, the men at the temple who know the scriptures, and they don't even question it. They're amazed. They're marveled. This 12-year-old boy, how does he know such things about the scriptures? Those are just some of the circumstances surrounding Jesus' early life. Uh, We could take an even longer time recounting all the miracles that he performed himself, all of the healings, the fulfilling of prophecy, the casting out of demons. I mean, think about it. He cast out a whole herd of swine into the ocean, and it wasn't like the one farmer came out and said, why would you kill all my pigs? The whole town told him to get out of there. They didn't want him around. He wasn't good for their economy. But it was to let the world know that Jesus Christ's kingdom was not of this world. That he was more preoccupied with the salvation of one soul than a herd of swine. That he was preoccupied with bringing someone into the kingdom of God and making the praise of the glory of his father's name known than he was that that town could have made a buck. If you were alive at the same time as Jesus and you said you weren't aware of him, someone would probably say that you might have been born under a rock. Um, You know, just consider what Jesus said to Cleopas on the road to Emmaus. Are you the only one living near Jerusalem and not knowing the things that have happened in these days? Jesus was crucified publicly in an execution that many people witnessed. Why? And because we're also dealing with the world, because our text says that he was in the world and everything came into being with him, it wasn't just like he was known only to the Jews at the time. Consider, uh, let's take a a tour of natural philosophy. At about the same time that Malachi penned the last words of the Old Testament, uh, God rose up three well-known prominent philosophers that we still know today. Uh, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Right? These are just men. These are men who are uh, just human thinkers. They have no value within themselves. But um, they started speaking when the Old Testament was no longer being written. And uh, instead of the world falling into abject depravity, as we might expect if Revelation was no longer being written, instead what happened, Gentile thought exploded They started thinking about the nature of goodness and truth and beauty and justice and law. Um, The fullness of time that the Messiah was born into accounts not only for the fullness of prophecy that he would be born into, but it accounts for the fullness of the whole world. So that the culture that Jesus was born into gave a lot of space for religious and philosophical discussions. Um, It was like uh, God had primed the Gentiles to be thinking about things that were no longer merely 
physical. Um, Jesus' words were not only a match for those trapped under the uh, irredeemable legal mosaic system that was not possible to save you because you could not work your way into heaven. His words also delivered pagans from slavery to the ever-shifting philosophy and, and logic of the world. That he came to the world and they did not acknowledge him. Um, he came to his own people and things and they rejected him. Yet, the, despite the obvious nature of his identity to both Jew and Gentile alike, they could not see him as he truly was. They were blinded. They were blinded. Yet, we still have examples of men and women from both Gentiles and Jews who received and acknowledged him. Consider the Roman centurion who came to Jesus saying that his slave was injured. And Jesus says, take me to him. And the the Roman centurion says, you only have to say the word and he will be healed because I am a man under authority. And if I say to to a soldier, go and do this, and he does it. And Jesus marveled. He said, in all the sons of Israel, I have not seen one with faith as such as this. Where did the, how was the Roman centurion primed to understand authority? Was he sitting under Jewish teachers? Was he sitting among the rabbis? No, it was likely that he had been influenced by the Gentile thought at the time. Not that that Gentile thought had any ability to save him. If it did not lead him to the Savior, he would have been dead in his sins. And yet God is so powerful that he can use even the foolishness of Gentile thinkers to lead men to the Savior. The life of Jesus and the circumstances surrounding him were so visible that it, was not, that it was impossible to not have to come to terms with who you thought he was. And I mean, that's really what the case is still for us today, is that you have to decide who Jesus is. There is no not deciding it, because in not deciding it, you decide he's not God, and he doesn't have rule and reign over your life. You make a decision in deciding not to decide. Jesus' ministry is this small picture of God's work in everyday life. For although who Jesus was and what the response to him ought have been was proverbially right under their noses, there were still people who refused to acknowledge him, people who reviled him and rejected him. There may have been even people who knew who he was but thought that they could compete with him, such as a man named Herod. And the Gentiles ought to have acknowledged him because he was already in the world. There's a discussion among the scholars as to whether or not this means his omnipresence before his incarnation or his incarnation is coming into the world. But I think it's largely uh, an irrelevant discussion. It just matters on what you want to make the focus of the text to be. But I, I, I preferred the interpretation of because all things came into being through him, it's talking about God as creator. As God is designer of all things. God is designing you and me. Um, And therefore, all the things that the Gentiles were depending upon to understand the universe were his. His Their logic, their rationality, their thinking, the the world around them, the trees, the leaves, the the water that, that philosophers would say made up all things. These things were all dependent things that depended upon one whose name was Jesus Christ, who is God. No matter what, as long as they were trying to discover the world in truth, they could not escape the fact that this 
is God's universe. There's no scientific theory, no mathematical equation, no alchemical potion, no philosophical inquiry or well-asked question that will deliver man from the inescapable reality that we live in God's universe, and the result of that is that all men must die. Unless you're one of the exceptions in the Old Testament. But all men must die. Um, Yet, instead of acknowledging the fact that all the principles of this universe corrupt and decay, just like you and I, because if there's nothing out there besides us, it doesn't matter if the laws are forever, you die, and then they aren't acknowledged anymore. They exist outside of you. They exist in the mind of God, and they exist eternally because they are his. Um, So as Romans 1 tells us, they worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator. Roman, I mean, Paul in Romans is explaining exactly what happens to the Greeks is that they looked at the universe and they came up with these very high thoughts and instead of attributing them to God, they started coming up with Zeus and Aphrodite and nonsense fictional characters that have all died and forgotten and are mocked as fiction and yet Yahweh, the God of the Bible, reigns. And people still gather every single Sunday morning to worship him. And those false gods are in their graves of long forgotten history. Although the creation is enough to point to a God who exists out of space and time and our being created in his image makes us incorrigible glory seekers, we by our natural birth can do nothing except to fly away from him. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Gentiles by nature are like the crow that Noah released first and never returned. Although it found purchase for its feet, it never returned to acknowledge that its purpose was to find that the waters abated and instead followed its own devices after it had been given some agency. The only thing that the Gentiles ever invented, right? Because what, what are we so obsessed with as humans is invention, technology. What's that next thing that's going to bring us to the next stage? What's that next invention? And you know the only invention that God ever added into his plan was two sticks crossing one another that crucified him. That the height of human ingenuity that God marked in eternity was the fact that we created the instrument that crushed his flesh. That there's nothing that we add to God except the sin that needed saving. So the Gentiles should have acknowledged him. The Jews most certainly should have. It, wasn't, it, was, it was as if God makes this case that the people who weren't his people should have known him. And the people who were his people definitely should have known him. Our text says that he came to his own people and his own things... He gave them thousands of years of prophecy. He gave them man after God, man after God, man after God, who led them and pointed them to God, who said, we will do all the law and all the commandments, and one generation goes and another generation comes, and they did what was right in their own eyes. And the culture that Jesus comes into is the culture that supposedly is supposed to be the worshipers of God, who are studying the word of God, who are submitting to God's law, And they're doing what is right in their own eyes. It was the men who studied 
the word of God most who received the most strict condemnation. That's why we have passages that say not many of you should become teachers because they receive that stricter condemnation. The men who read and dedicated uh, their life to the study of God were defined by our Savior as blind guides leading the blind. The men who were meant to be leading his people to worship in purity and righteousness and holiness were the men that he most prominently and vehemently denounced. O Israel, how I have longed to gather you as a hen longs to gather its chicks under its wings, but you would not. Despite all of the access to the types and shadows of God and what his Messiah would be like, they rejected him. As we made mention already, the figurehead of Israel, uh, the king of Israel at this time, Herod, committed infanticide to reject them. If David killed 144,000 because, or if, if God killed 144,000 men because David counted his men, what stricter judgment should they come under? That they were like Sodom and Gomorrah, as he said. This leaves us a quandary to solve. If the highest Gentile thought can't lead to God, and being in the worship and service of God, being in his temple, reading his word, singing his psalms, performing the rituals and sacrifices, thinking about it, talking about it, yet not believing, don't lead you to God, what can? What can? There's nothing in this life at all that will ever lead you to God. At all. You can be a monk from the time you were born to the time you die, and you can pray for 10 hours a day, and that will not grant you entrance into the kingdom of heaven. You will stand before God and he will say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Because there are Buddhist monks who do that. Seeking some salvation. They are out there and they are trapped and they are lost. And it is our duty to go and preach the gospel to those men because they are suffering under the demonic doctrine that they are under. But that doesn't answer our question, does it? What grants you entrance into the kingdom of of God. It is a sweet relief for us to read what John writes next. To those who did receive him, there is a group that receive him. And how do they receive him? It, it, it almost seemed as if it was hopeless. There's nothing, nothing at all. And, it's, and then he goes, there's a group that receives him. Hallelujah. If those men who study the word of God can't and don't know him, how can I? John's answer is, did you receive Jesus? When he came to you, did you go, yes, you're saved. You've been born of God. When Jesus, as the Messiah, came to you and said, come, follow me, and then you just went, it wasn't high-structured thought that got you into the kingdom of God. It wasn't making sure that you were more righteous than the next person. It was as if you were doing your job, being a fisherman, 
and then the Savior came to you and said, come follow me, and then you went, you're in the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. I I just, every other single religion out there has you do a million and a million and a million one things so that God might love you one day. And Jesus Christ comes down and says, I love you even though you're going to do what I don't tell you to do a million, million, million one times. Because his grace is sufficient for you. John explains to us that the entrance to the kingdom of heaven is not by any human means, but it is a miraculous new birth. Only God can lead you to God. The reason the text is arranged that it is is because uh, although us Reformed folk love how much this text points to God's sovereign orchestrating of salvation and the new birth, John is first concerned with the people. He's concerned with the people wondering whether or not they can make it in. And he goes, yes, you can. You just have to receive the Savior. You have to receive him. You have to believe upon him. You have to trust in him. The new birth isn't an acceptance of a theological or philosophical system. It isn't an acceptance of a tradition or an ideology. It is reliance upon a person, Jesus Christ. God designed the new birth in this way, not by mere convention or contrivance or some arbitrary decision that the new birth should be this very exclusivistic way because he loves his favorites and he loves sending his not favorites to hell. Absolutely not. Um, The new birth is this exclusive because God is the only one who can perform it. The new birth is exclusive because Christ is an exclusive savior and he makes an exclusive claim on your life and he exclusively has the power to grant you entrance into his kingdom and that exclusive entrance is exclusively in Jesus. It's pretty exclusive. (laughs) You see, if you could get in by any other way, you would value that thing higher than God because in your natural self, you already don't like God very much. In fact, you hate him. You're at war with him. You don't want to do anything he says. You want to do what you want to do. And so, if God provided any other way, you would glorify that thing he made that brought you into the kingdom of God, then you would glorify God. And we see that all the time. There's only one one way to God and all other ways don't work. And still people love their religious machinations. They love counting the rosary beads and... They love doing their prayers during time of Ramadan and fasting. And then, you know, the social media influencers love recording themselves, giving money to the poor. So we all have our religious machinations and they don't lead us to God and we still love them. So imagine how much more we would love those things instead of God if those things brought us into the kingdom of God. They don't, they can't, and they never will. No matter how dead they are, Man loves the work of their own hands more than they love God. That's why God has to perform the new birth. And it isn't by works. Brothers and sisters, there is always this temptation for us to fall into the two groups prior to the new birth. You can be a worldly person and think that you have salvation but not acknowledge the Savior. You can be a religious person And accept every single tenet of the 1689 London Baptist Confession. But if you don't have true faith, that confession will not save you. 
It will not enter you into the kingdom of heaven. You will not stand before God on judgment day. Raise your LBCF and go, I'm in. Unless it's pointing to the Savior that says, you're in. Because he's the one who grants you entrance into it. Here are a few other meditations on the new birth. The new birth, if you think about it, if you're ever facing discontentment in your life because your circumstances aren't what you want them to be, if you have the new birth, you have been giving some, given something of inestimable value. You have been given something that not all the riches in this world could ever purchase. You've been given eternal life. You've been given all the treasures of the riches and wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. You've been adopted into the family of God. You can call God your father. And what did they do to Jesus when he called himself the son of God? They wanted to, they wanted to stone him. Because calling himself the son of the father made him equal to God. Brothers and sisters, you don the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His very spirit dwells within you. And he has bestowed upon you every spiritual blessing. And so if there's an iota of that discontentment in your, in your life and in your heart, as it has been for me in my life, run back to this new birth and fall on your face And don't you dare forget to thank him for the fact that he has given you something of much greater value than you could ever purchase in this life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the new birth. We thank you that you have caused us to be born again, born from above, born by your power, adopted as sons and daughters into the kingdom uh, as children of the Most High God, co-heirs of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters to to him, friends, Lord. We thank you that you have given every relational definition that is positive to our relationship with you so that we might know that you loved us first and you continue to love us and that your death on the cross demonstrates that to us over and over and over again. Lord, I pray for... Um, all the souls in Casa Grande whom you have not called yet, we pray that they would be born again soon. That, uh, Lord, your, your promise is not slow, as some count slowness, uh, but, is, but you are patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and a knowledge of truth. Lord, please have them repent and come to a knowledge of the truth so you return. Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, we are in a time where... Uh, truth is um, absolute and yet people want to confuse it and we desire you to rectify that Lord um, and we ask you to, to, to rectify and heal the hearts of all those um, broken people who are caught up in the philosophies of this world that cannot acknowledge you because they are blinded in their hostility towards you we pray for the, 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 um, the Satanists, we pray for the transgender, we pray for those who um, Uh, have political leanings that deny you. We pray for those who are pro-abortionists, Lord, um, pro-murder. We ask you to uh, forgive their sin and grant them repentance so that they might see the folly of their ways and come praise you, God. And we pray for those of us who have been born again. May we not be um, stingy with the knowledge. 
but go out into the world and bring the fact that people can be born again. And all the things that they're looking for in this life is given to them in the new birth. That we are most, um, you are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you, God. So I pray that the world will be satisfied in you and help us to be satisfied in you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.